Welcome back, universe, to the SFBCPC S1. That's an abbreve for Sci-Fi Book Club Podcast Season 1. On today's ep, we'll be talking about life, the universe, and everything. Uh, and also the book, Life, the Universe, and Everything, written by Douglas Adams in Earth Year 1982. I'm your host, Brent Aldrich, and with me, as always, via holographic projection, it's John Love. Hi, John. Hi. Uh, John, did you see what I did there in the intro? I did. I uh, I don't know if you got your attention, but I tried to give you a subtle nod. Uh, well done. And also, I want to make a note, your voice sounds extra resonant and rich today. Thank you, thank you. I've been uh, using Carolyn's mouthwash. Uh, the the spice. highest pr- highest proof by ABV mouthwash in the galaxy. Yeah, top shelf. Sip, sip, spit, spit. <laughs> yeah, that's the one. That's exactly the one I've been using. And uh, we're back. Thank you. Um, what have you been up to lately? Um, not a whole lot. Just digging into my past. Oh yeah, the deep recesses yeah. of your soul. Yeah, I don't want to talk about it. All right. Uh, but yeah, just just that, pretty much. It's kind of a full time job. Mm-hmm. Since I got rid of like, my last full time jobs as a manual laborer. Oh, that's right. You got it. Well, I mean, you got to provide an income for your family. That's right. And past digging is doing it for me. That's right. Well, uh, great. Uh, what, use a shovel, spade, uh, uh, a, a mind shovel. Just my, uh, just my claws. Oh yeah, just really get yep. down there in the past. Just, right, just really dig into it. Sink my claws into it. Sink my teeth into it. And then, yeah, find my baby teeth in it. Well, good. Here's the thing, John. We uh, have a book to talk about. Uh, It's the third one in a series we've been reading. Uh, It has been a minute since I read it. How about you? Uh, Yep, same with me. It's been quite a while. Um, I I meant it's been exactly one minute since I... Oh, oh, okay. I feel feel like this podcast has already been going on for longer than that, but... (laughs) Uh, anyways, uh, was it a New York minute? Oh yeah. So it was like, you know, uh, 20 years, years. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. Go ahead. Been a while. It's been a while since I read this book is what I'm saying. Uh, and it sounds like you as well. Yes, absolutely. And by, um, the sounds of us just stumbling over each other to talk right there, it's been a while since we've done a podcast. True. So... Or a little rusty. Well, I believe the last one that we did, uh, we had a contest. A woman had won a contest and was on with us. Did she finally go home, by the way? Or is she still hanging out? Do you know? I haven't seen her in a long time. So maybe her and Dyson are just hanging out somewhere. Okay. Because I know she was a big fan of Dyson. Right. And the search for him does continue. It does. No progress on the Dyson front. No. 
I, I really gave up pretty quickly on that. I'm still, you know, I'm, well, I guess a full-time job digging into my past, uh, trying to dig through the slime trail to find Dyson is my part, part-time job. When you're not past digging, you're Dyson searching. That's what they say. And by they, I mean me and you. Yeah, we're always saying that. Constantly. Well, here's the thing, then. I, I am optimistic that since... Uh... Uh, oh, I, think our, I think our pod door just opened. <laughs> oh, hey, it's our friend Steve. Oh, hey, guys. Hey, Steve, what's up? Uh, not much. I was just roaming around the ship, checking things out. Cool. Is it is all check out? Yeah, there's uh, two doors in this hallway, and uh, behind the other door, checking out how many testicles I have. Still three. Okay, Still good. Three that checks out. I lost a pubic hair, though, and I think it's probably behind your door. I don't know where it's at. So I've got nine now. It's cool. Okay. I bet we'll find it with Dyson, wherever he is. Maybe he took it. He was the last one that was holding on to my pubic hairs. Oh, that's right. Uh, I, I think when we first met you, and this is, feels like ages ago now, Steve, uh, I think that's when we also first met Dyson. Yeah, it was, we both uh, we both showed up at the same time. That's right. I don't remember how we got there, but it was uh, definitely it was the first time you guys met Dyson, and first time I met you guys. So. I think you were just on your, uh, you know, going where the wind wills, uh, and uh, Dyson was, uh, you know... His teammates were sending him all through time and space, and we caught him. Right. We caught him all. Yeah, I was just cruising around on those really fast, non-existent space winds, taking the wind wherever it was taking me. So uh, what have you been up to recently, other than this uh, ship inspection? Uh, No, primarily ship inspections. I actually got a job as a ship inspector. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I've just been going around from ship to ship, um, place to place, checking things out, inspecting. I figured out, I've actually found out on the last episode that it's really good in inspecting things. And uh, of all the ships that you've inspected, which one was the most ship? Mm-hmm. It was probably the Titanic. Follow-up question. Which ship of all the ships you've inspected has the most testicles? Uh, there's definitely this ship. Really? I have not seen our testicle bay. Mm-hmm. Which testicle bay down in uh, Sector 7? I know basically nothing about this pod. I like, pretty much only spend my time in this room, mm-hmm. and then I try to get into the captain's quarters one time to find Dyson. I don't think I got in. Yeah. The testicle bay is just balloons in the closet and then shut the door. Oh, a bunch of balloons. I was uh, just trying. I was just trying to do that earlier. That's funny. Just before we started. Yeah, <laughs> I got those balloons. That's what you have downstairs. Hmm. A balloon bay. Yeah. Sweet. But they're testicles, not balloons. This is learning so much about this ship. Mm-hmm. I mean. Before Adam showed up, I didn't even know that we had a lip portal. And then there it is. I didn't know we had slime trails until the Wiggler brought him in. Mm-hmm. I didn't know we had a time cage with all that. Yeah. Yeah. So learning more and more every day. 
Uh, alrighty then. Well, should, should we get get into the book? Yeah, I suppose we could do that. Steve, have you read this book? I have. Uh, more times. recently than one minute ago? No, not that recent. 42 and a half minutes. Nice. Well, yeah. so I then that means that I've read it uh, the longest time ago. So, Steve, you start. <laughs> Synopsis. Let's hear it. We could just audiobook the whole yeah. thing. There we go. I'm Nick. Hello? Yellow. Yo. <clears throat> Sorry, I just got lost in the, in the ship bay again. <laughs> okay. Is this... I guess I didn't I didn't really see it come in, but are you just live reporting from elsewhere on the ship? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I walked into the, the main room, but then... Uh, I just started wandering around again. I got a microphone. Uh, yeah, should we just? You want us to just call you on your radio on your on your little radio? Yeah, we can do like back. I mean, we might lose connection here to the ship. I don't know how this is going to work out, but we can try it. All right. Well, you keep keep going on your ship inspection there, and we'll we'll podcast with you. Sounds good. And keep an eye peeled for Dyson. Thanks. Yeah. Always. And Ray, our contest winner, if she's here or not, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen me in a bay full of test. <laughs> All right. Did I, did I miss anything while I was gone? Did you guys talk about anything? Oh, since you've been gone since we started this podcast? Yep. Uh, no, we, uh, we just saw you leave and we were real distraught, but we liked watching you go. (laughs) Did you see all six of my butt cheeks? Yep. And time for our newest segment, Brent's Butt Corner. (laughs) Hi everyone. Thanks for joining me this week on Brent's Butt Corner. Here you go. Join me as always, John Love, Steve. Hi, guys. Hey. So, uh, did you see that uh, butt earlier? All six of its cheeks. I didn't see it. I was in front of it. (laughs) That's the way I think about moving through the world, too. Like, I'm just always in front of my butt. Yeah. Uh... I have some bad days where I feel like I'm behind my butt. But most of the time, I'm in front of my butt. Mm-hmm. One of those behind-the-butt days. Yep. Uh, mirror selfie much, you guys? Yes. Okay. Uh, huh? I, I have a special segment to add, tack on to Brent's butt corner. It's uh, mm-hmm. name your favorite song that has to do with butts. Uh, hi, this is Name Your Favorite Song That Has to Do With Butts. I'm your host, John Love. With me, as always, uh, are eight butt cheeks, not including my own. Uh, all right, what are you guys' favorite songs about butts? Um, Steve, do you want to go first, or should I? You can go first. Not directly about butts, uh, but I feel like related. Uh, the classic The Thong Song by... 
earth musician Cisco. You ever seen a six butt cheek thong? They're weird. I, that's that actually why I like Brett's suggestion of the thong song because it just implies that the person probably has, if they have two butt cheeks, two legs also. So mm. I can co sign on with the thong song. Well, uh, my favorite song. Uh, there's the classic Fat Bottom Girls. That's all about butts. Mm. The they do butts. make the rocking classic. world go round. They do. The, all all the rocking world. Not just the Earth world, like all the worlds. I mean, I imagine by your guys' time, this is that song's in everybody's home or dwelling. Oh, it's 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 basic physics. Right. Fat bottom girls literally make worlds go round. Right. Gravity because, and physics and all that. Yeah. No. I think that's, that was the, pretty good was the premise of the three body problem. Exactly. Uh, if you have three fat bottom girls, it's unpredictable. Hmm. Way so, it goes. Brent, with your, with your seven legs, you only have two butt cheeks? Oh, no. I got uh, more. Eight. <laughs> Dang it. I'm, I'm I was feeling, just, I was just feeling assuming, one by one. Sorry. You know what they say about assuming about butts? You make an ass out of you and me. That's right. Mm-hmm. So are your uh, butt cracks more like, are they like folds or creases? Like butt creases? Like creases. You get a little bone folder in there, just fold it over. Right. Oh, they're real tight. Real tight butt creases. Yeah, here's the thing, though. Um, you know how I'm all made of like, I'm basically origami. Mm-hmm. So uh, my, you know, the, the butt cheeks are mostly aesthetic at this point. There's really only one functioning one. Let's be honest. Mm-hmm. I'm really looking forward to your memoir. Uh, I'm basically origami, the Brent Aldridge story. <laughs> Anyways, my favorite song about butts is Baby Got Back, obviously. And that concludes Name Your Favorite Song About Butts, the sub segment to everybody's favorite segment, Brent's Butt Corner, sponsored by Carolyn Sweet Tea Sip. And uh, anyway. Um, I didn't leave the pod today, but out the window, I definitely uh, looked at some people walking by. I say people, I looked at their butts. And that concludes nice. Brent's Butt Corner sound effect. And we're back. Uh, so did we say anything about the book yet or not? Uh, Steve was, Steve was starting to give us a summary when he started on the old ship inspection. Sure. It's tough to multitask there. Now, Hey Steve, have you read all five books in this series? Um, yeah, I've read all five and I'm rereading, uh, the mostly harmless right now. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I think John, and I have only made it up through this current book. In fact, so you might have some spoilers for us. Uh, we'll, we'll I'll, see. I'll, I'll try not to spoil. I'm, I'm looking through this one right now, trying not to jump ahead. Well, here's what I would say. And, and I think John, for the, the last one, um, that we read, which was the restaurant at the end of the universe. I think that we said that that one, and I would say the same thing about this one, it had a lot more like a cohesive narrative or like a plot maybe than in the very first one. I felt like that first Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy book 
was just so like free form and like here's a story here's a story here's a story here's a character here's a world um restaurant at the end of the universe there was a goal that had to be overcome you know whatever and this one i think the same thing it was a lot more self-contained i will say though with being more self-contained um i think that the way that douglas adams writes because he's just interested in telling all these stories piece by piece there's never much like uh stakes again i think we said like the last time so in terms of like how we get from one place to another it's just um i was honestly a little bit confused because there was often not quite enough narrative in terms of like now we're in this flying house party in the sky how did we get there um arthur learned to fly and um, I think the premise is great and, like, the stories are fun. But in terms of getting from one place to another, it all does – it all works out very well. Um, we're not going to break up this band of outcasts for too long. They're they're all going to regroup. So I think that the narrative itself was maybe more fixed or cohesive. But in terms of um, how that played out, not super, like, sophisticated in terms of uh, – resolving conflict or et cetera, et cetera. For sure. Yeah. I feel like I have to be in a kind of particular uh, state of mind to really enjoy these books. And that state of mind is just like reading it for the pure pleasure of reading it and not at all. I don't know. I don't get very invested in these books. I don't think in terms of like caring about the characters because they go on zany adventures and they get into a, a, a situation that there's no possible way they can get out of. And then they get out of it kind of over and over again. Yeah. Uh, but which, you know, if, if you're looking for real tension or drama, you're not going to find it here. Uh, so yeah, just basically getting on board with a bunch of wacky jokes uh, and, you know, appreciating it for that. It's sort of all that you're, all that I'm ever looking for, I guess, when I read these now. So yeah, I was going to say when Steve was talking about, um, not wanting or you know not bringing spoilers i'm like bring on the spoilers from their future ones because i bet they just go in wacky adventures <laughs> like uh, I, I bet the spoilers it's, I'm not, you're not spoiling a whole lot besides like some joke basically they're pretty much non sequitur like none of it short of like learning about a new storyline you don't really lo- lose or gain anything like you guys are saying mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah i think that my you know i i was looking at the notes that i took on this book and it was kind of funny because the last one that we read, um, Orcs and Crake, I had like double the notes that I normally take, right? And then mm-hmm. this one, I have not much at all. And I think that mostly what I have are just that. They're, they're the most interesting or funny segues. Um, there's a couple plot points that I thought were interesting ideas that might be fun to talk about, but... For instance, there was this whole long segment about um, where there's that planet that Marvin's on where he's just talking to a mattress, and um, Douglas Adams just treats mattresses as a sentient creature that lives in a swamp on this particular planet and and, and says that um, uh, audiobook that they are large, friendly, pocket-sprung creatures that live quiet, private lives in the marshes of Scorn Shellisata, many of them get caught, slaughtered, dried out, shipped out, and slept on. Um, and then, just prior to that, 
when Douglas Adams is clearly just on one of these, um, you know, uh, throwaway uh, jokes, essentially. Um, he says that a forest was discovered recently in which most of the trees grew ratchet screwdrivers as fruit. The life cycle of a ratchet screwdriver fruit is quite interesting. Once picked, it needs a dark, dusty drawer in which it can lie undisturbed for years. Then one night, it suddenly hatches, discards its outer skin that crumbles into dust, and emerges as a totally unidentifiable little metal object with flanges at both ends. Um, and so, like, I think those are interesting premises, just treating these inanimate objects as sentient beings um, with life cycles and whatever, but... Eventually, that you know, Marvin gets sucked up from that planet, and uh, the end. <laughs> yeah, that yeah, story. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> one of the kind of wildest segues in this book. That so, I don't know. I need a little bit of backstory for myself. So, one of my notes was at the very end of chapter one. I underlined the very last sentence. So, audiobook. The next day, he made himself a pouch out of rabbit skin because he thought it would be useful to keep things in. And then I underlined that and put critically important somehow, question mark. Yeah. Uh, just because I feel like I'm getting a kind of grasp on the way that Douglas Adams puts in throwaway like descriptors that end up being kind of crucially important, actually. Mm-hmm. So then the one of the weirdest segues became that scene where... Um, Arthur ended up finding, and I do not remember how it happened at all, but he got in, in contact with Agrajag yeah. uh, in like the underground church dungeon thing. I, <laughs> and, that's one of those, I have no idea how he got there, honestly. Yeah. yeah. So that was like very confusing. But then, of course, uh, that rabbit skin pouch, well, basically, Arthur keeps just killing this guy, Agrajag, and then Agrajag gets. Uh, resurrected again for him to be killed again by Arthur in some other strange way. Yeah. Uh, yeah which is amazing. And so actually that he was the rabbit skin, uh, he was the rabbit that was skinned and, you know, he thought that was pr- particularly distasteful for Arthur to do to turn him into a bag after he killed him again. Uh, and to show up at, at his later form holding that bag. Yes. So you're like yeah. flaunting your, your killing of me in front of me. Yep, and with a bone in his beard from, yeah. I think, the same rabbit. Yes. Uh, but yeah, what I guess something that I did like that was a little bit more conceptually interesting or dense in that same section was uh, Agrajag gets mad at Arthur for killing him in, I can't remember, some, some other particular way that Arthur says, I haven't done that. I haven't even been there. Uh, so basically Agrajag found Arthur too early in Arthur's timeline. And so Agrajag can't possibly kill Arthur now because he has to get killed later. Uh, and so, I don't know, there's some interesting comments on how, like, confusing time travel is uh, in this book, um, which I think, yeah, particularly interesting. And that was one of the interesting, I think, moments there. Uh, also, the very first note I took in the book um, was in the second paragraph of chapter one, which is audiobook. Time is the worst place, so to speak, to get lost in as Arthur Dent could testify, having been lost in both time and space a good deal. At least being lost in space kept you busy. Uh, so, yeah, I, I just like that, too. And it kind of speaks to maybe uh, or gives some background on why these stories are so disconnected and all over the place because, you know, they're messing around in both time and space and you never really know, you know, 
what's up, what's down, uh, kind of. Mm-hmm. So, so, so the book, I guess, and the, the way the stories are put together fit that kind of, uh, I guess, approach or outlook on how time itself works. Mm-hmm. Which is like the entire premise of the second book, uh, Restaurant at the End of the Universe. They didn't travel through space at all. They traveled to the nearest restaurant, which was mm-hmm. years away as opposed to distance away because the restaurant formed right where they were currently. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's that kind of like completely out-of-the-box, crazy um, state of mind that he puts you in, but then he surrounds it with all this complete absurd nonsense that's just like throwing it at you to make you laugh for a second or confuse you. But then underneath all of it is this off-the-wall concept of space-time travel. Mm-hmm. And then it ends, again, with like a fart joke or something else. Like, <laughs> I mean, I think that's actually, that is actually a pretty good characterization of just how, um, maybe how those books are structured as, as a two-year just saying, as explorations in like the absurdity of space-time travel and... Um, reality itself because of that i mean it it is like just the absurdity almost of multiple worlds and multiple timelines and when all those can crisscross and um co-penetrate each other it's just like yeah and it's it's Mm -hmm. absurd it's an absurd reality for sure and uh on that note it's time for my axe to grind Uh, okay, so again, I'm sorry, I haven't read this book in a long time, but uh, there is this game in the uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy universe named Brockian Ultra Cricket. It's uh, played in higher dimensions, and it has a full set of rules so massively complicated that the only time they were all bound together in a single volume, they underwent gravitational collapse and became a black hole. Uh, so yeah, that's just a little description on Brocky and Ultra Cricket, which is the worst game of all time. And here's why. Rule number one, grow at least three extra legs. <laughs> you won't need them, but it keeps the crowds amused. If I was in that crowd, I would not be amused. Uh, <laughs> what would et cetera, you, what, et cetera. What would you say if you were in that crowd? What would you shout uh, at the players? I'm unamused! It's just like that. Let's get that. Uh, yeah, terrible. John continued for quite a while here, said some things that are really unfit to broadcast. We edited out for the children. Let's go back now to the axe to grind. And that's how you'll make the universe great again. And that is this week's axe to grind. Sorry about that. I got a little, wow, got a little long one there. Well, long tirade. Rocky and Ultra Cricket fucking sucks. Hey, John, uh, since you brought that up, um, that actually brings me to another note that I took. Uh, On page 364, when Arthur is learning how to fly, um, and there's the Mm -hmm. explanation about that, you know, so basically the premise for learning how to fly is just uh, get distracted by something else and just miss the ground while you're falling. Uh, and so the example is um, audiobook. 
If, however, you are lucky enough to have your attention momentarily distracted at the crucial moment by, say, a gorgeous pair of legs, tentacles, pseudopodia, according to your phylum and or personal inclination, uh, dot, 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 then in your astonishment, you will miss the ground completely and remain bobbing just a few inches above it. Uh, anyway, uh, yep. just another, another, another good leg reference in this book, I thought. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that they could have skipped uh, everything in parentheses and just ended with a gorgeous pair of legs. Okay. But he did say pair, or maybe a pair of tentacles. I don't know. Yeah. Hey, what's your position on a pair of tentacles? By the way, I've been meaning to ask you. Yeah, what's the proper number of tentacles? Uh, you should get if no matter how many you have, get them removed, <laughs> replace them with two legs. Start over. Okay, so it is it is just uh legs, just legs. Uh Yeah, of just, course. Uh okay. What about That's why I just get rid of that uh parentheses part okay. in this book. Prepare, gorgeous pair of legs, that's it. Hey Steve, how's that ship inspection going? It's pretty good. I have no idea where I am. Uh what's it look like? Is Dyson down there? Because we have no idea where he is either. This would be a good place to find him. Um, no, I don't. It's just uh, it's kind of dark. Okay. Uh, it's just like slowly getting. I'm probably near the back end of the ship. It's just continually getting smaller. I'm probably going to turn around here in about a uh, couple feet. We'll see how it goes. Okay. Um, I'm gonna. Yeah, I'm gonna keep moving. You know, this is our pod. We we own it legitimately and outright, and we didn't steal it or anything. Cool. Who'd you buy it from? Uh, I forget his name. I couldn't it's, really pronounce it. That makes sense. Right, John? Yeah, just don't worry about it. We own it, and yeah. that's why we know everything about it. Uh-huh. Every Out square inch of this bad boy. Yep. Not worrying about it anymore. Great. I don't know why you would. Yeah. Well, okay. so yeah. Here's the, here's the thing that we didn't actually say. So the the conceit of this book is that our heroes uh, somehow, again, I don't know how exactly, uh, they find out that there is this uh, planet that wanted desperately to destroy every other living being in the galaxy. They had a time envelope put around the planet. Uh, but a few of their robots were outside the time envelope, and they are trying to reconstruct the cricket gate to unlock the time envelope from this planet. And uh, our heroes are trying to stop them and do not. Uh, but don't worry. It all works out in the end. Um, I don't know. I think that's a fair summary, right? Yeah. yeah. Sounds about right. But, yeah, it never... I don't know, like none of that ever really seemed very interesting or important, I guess. <laughs> it's like those are the boring sections when the robots would show up. Uh, yeah. See, so yeah, I don't know, I just kind of wanted to get get him off of that and have him just write more zany one-liners or whatever. Uh, the, the one thing is that um, I guess the, the pun or so, or just a homophone, uh, between Cricket, the planet, which is spelled K-R-I-K-K-I-T, uh, and not like the game C-R-I-C-K-E-T. That was John's spelling corner. Correct. Um, 
yeah, that like joke hits more, I guess, when you just hear it as opposed to when you read it. Uh, it's not a particularly good joke, but uh, yeah, just the pun there. And then their whole like kind of, I don't know, all the symbolism in their world is uh, is like sort of cricket, uh, the game um, based on that, I guess. Right. So yeah, anyways. Uh, but yeah, I do like how at one point they're on the planet cricket before they decide to go destroy the whole world. And by world, I mean universe. Uh, and it's like totally peaceful because they don't know that anything else exists. And once they find out that there's a universe out there, they have to destroy everything to maintain their own sense of peace, which I think is pretty hilarious. Yeah. There's some good bits in there where they, they're saying like, yeah, we want to preserve family, fun, friendship, sport, and the extinction of every other living creature in in the universe. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Sounds yeah, about I, right. I did think I, I agree with you. I think that all of the major plot points around um, retrieving the cricket gate were exactly where I thought that the transitions were questionable. Um, so the uh, spoiler: the supercomputer who's actually controlling everything on the planet at some point. I don't know, make some kind of like virtual reality for Trillium and Arthur to step out onto and solve uh, or like see, I, I don't know. I was, I was, I was actually very confused with a lot of these transitions. Like, wait a minute now, uh, now Arthur and Ford are not in prehistoric earth. Okay. They're on a couch yeah. in the great field. Um, I, I will say actually the one thing that I liked quite a bit was that Ford prefect throughout this whole book was just like, now nah, I don't want to do that. Like, I want to get. To, I want to go get the great gate. Like, I'm. I like. Uh, I need to find something to drink. Um, I want to get drunk. Yeah, he was completely disinvested in the main narrative of the story, which I thought was terrific. Hmm. Yeah, I feel like those sorts of characters always end up becoming the heroes because I don't know. They're almost a little bit like the everyman or even the reader. Where it's just like, I don't know, like, is it even worth them going to do that? Because yeah. they're going to figure out something anyways. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I thought that was kind of funny. My favorite character in this particular book was probably Wowbanger, the well, Wowbagger, excuse me, the infinitely prolonged, mm-hmm. uh, who was the guy who uh, basically is immortal uh, and decided to spend his time, uh, which he has an infinite amount. Um, just insulting every creature in the galaxy or in the universe, which I think is a pretty admirable task. And so he shows up at the very beginning uh, and then shows up at the very end of the book again. But uh, one of my favorite lines in the whole, this whole book actually was uh, audiobook. Uh, so this is about um, him basically living forever. So audiobook. to begin with, it was fun. He had a ball living dangerously, taking risks cleaning up on high-yield, long-term investments, and just generally outliving the hell out of everybody. <laughs> That's <Yeah>. great. <laughs> yeah, so, so Wild Bagger is one of my favorite characters yeah. in this particular book. So I, I think what you just said, too, about, just to back up a second, about Ford uh, Prefect and being disinterested in this, uh, the main narrative, like the hero's journey in this. I think that a lot about books and... Um, to bring up, for instance, the Lord of the Rings again. So, you know, you think about, so it's a story about Frodo and then Bilbo and then Frodo Baggins. 
um, who are saving all of the Middle Earth, right? Um, but you do wonder when you're reading that, like, what if this was just a story about any other hobbit? Uh, what would that be like to read, you know? Just one who's back in the Shire, just hanging out, um, doing his thing. You know, but obviously stories are told about the heroes. Um, there's, you know, um, a particular form that that takes. But in this case, you know, Ford Prefect, he does come to have a crucial role. But again, it was confusing. Like, he just doesn't get shot by the robots or something. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't, again, I don't entirely know how that worked. But, um, but his apathy towards the entire thing. Um, in that regard, I thought it was actually really interesting. So maybe here we could have some kind of hero character who is not even an anti-hero, but um, just apathetic towards the whole thing almost. Um, now, that doesn't exactly happen because it's he's certainly not the central character to this. But when he does show up, he's pretty disinterested. Mm-hmm. That's, what, that's what I enjoy about Marvin throughout like, the other books and this one. like Totally. Oh, yeah. Constantly, like doesn't care about anybody, hates everything, then always has this pivotal point to play of like saving Arthur Dent or sacrificing his time or life or body part or whatever. Like in in the the gate, he's one of his legs is about is a part of the of a key kind of thing. Like um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, it's the same thing. Like it's this complete uninvested, non epic story arc uh-huh. that is like the most without it you kind of lose the crucial pivot point of the story mm-hmm. and Ford Prefect plays that for most of the most of this book but yeah you're totally right I kind of forgot about Marvin he wasn't actually in this book a whole lot he does he does a similar thing though he shows up and he what like hacks into the mainframe and yeah um Right at the crucial moment, they find him in whatever space-time place they left him. And, right. Yeah. He's that much more disgruntled and lived a terrible life and then uses his magnificent robot brain to solve whatever problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't remember. Was, he, was this the book where he was just, like, walking around in circles? Yeah, on that mattress planet. Yeah, oh, yeah. It's just, like, literally, it seemed like the most, you know, what should be done. Yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah, I like I like that bit as well. Uh, so this is just going to be another random note that I just is just kind of a joke that I liked, uh, which I feel like we could have a joke that I liked corner for every one of these books. Yeah, it's the whole book. Yeah. Uh, so Ford and Arthur are still on that on prehistoric Earth uh, and talking about you know what what they're going to do or whatever. And let's see, Ford says, guide, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, you remember? Yes, I remember throwing it into the river. Yes, said Ford, but I fished it out. You didn't tell me. I didn't want you to throw it in again. <laughs> Fair enough, admitted Arthur. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's great. Yeah, a little like, I don't know, weird, totally human moments that, that I don't know, they normally would be left out of, a, I guess, quote unquote, normal book, because that doesn't really in any way like move the story forward uh it's just like yeah kind of a funny little human detail mm-hmm. um yeah so i think that's when douglas adams for me is at his best when he like takes the opportunity to i don't know put in really like human jokes that that also tell you something about the characters that you're dealing with uh and yeah kind of not caring too much about 
making the story go forward because nothing, you know, exceptionally like interesting. Well, that's not always true, but those aren't the most interesting parts. The big like story arcs uh, aren't, aren't really what you ca- I come to this, I guess, uh, looking for. Yeah. And yeah. on that same same page, I'll oh, go ahead. Nope, nothing. I was just agreeing. Right. Oh, okay, thanks. This is Brent's <laughs> agreeing corner. Hey, well, I appreciate it. I agree. Thank you. Um, <laughs> this agreement brought to you by Corell and Sweet Tea, the sweetest tea in the galaxy. Sip, and we're back. Uh, so on that same page, uh, this is. I, well, I think we previously called this segment uh, Bore Your Guests to Tears. Sure. Uh, and it's just, you know, the, one of the times that I found a reference to another book that we've read. Oh, yeah. So here we go. Um, uh, so this part reminded me of Oryx and Crake, how Snowman uh, is losing his words because he's not using them often enough. Yeah. Uh, and so, again, audiobook. Uh, I haven't seen anyone for years, he said. Not anyone. I can hardly even remember how to speak. I keep forgetting words. I practice. Uh, you see, I practice by talking to, talking to, what are those things people think you're mad if you're talking, if you talk to, like George the Third, uh, Kings, suggested Ford, haha, <laughs> funny joke, uh, et cetera. But, but basically, yeah, again, like Oryx and Craig, how if you're not in society and you don't need to, um, you know, use a lot of words, uh, they kind of go away. Um, walking around on those what do they call them feet (laughs) legs legs is it legs uh anyway i don't remember sorry Mm, oh trees that's what he says he planted (laughs) planted hundreds of trees that's what the actual rest of the quote goes to but oh anyways (laughs) so that was boy your guests to tears we need like a crying sound effect for right there. Yeah, I got <clears throat> There it was. Was that, was that you crying? Yep. That's not what it sounds like when you cry. Such masculine tears. Yeah. Mm. You want to hear what it sounds like when I cry? Uh-huh. Mm. Happy tears? Mm-hmm. Just like that. Do you want to know what it sounds like when I cry? Nope. All right. What's it? What, what's it sound like? Spare you. Doves cry. Doves. Yes. Nobody knows anymore. Rest in peace, Prince. Too soon. Mm-hmm. Nine hundred years later. Too soon. Will always be too soon. I know. Well, I got two things. Um, I'll, I'll let you guys choose. Uh, do you prefer just another throwaway joke that I liked, or do you prefer the the one thing that I really want to talk about for a little bit? Uh, can you put the throwaway joke right in the middle of the other thing? Uh, yeah, I can make that happen. Uh, All right. let, let I, me prefer, just, I prefer uh, that. Okay, let me just mark my page then. Okay, I can do that. So, um, the ship that Slardabart Fast is driving uh, from the outside looks like an Italian restaurant, an upended Italian restaurant, uh, which in and of itself was pretty great. But then um, 
when he's going in later, the controls in it are, it's driven by Bistro Mathics. Um, and so there's this whole conceit to the book that there's this robotic restaurant, Italian restaurant, that controls the drive of Slurry Bartfast's ship. And there's an entire chapter, chapter five, which is just two pages long, uh, but it explains the bistromathic drive. And in short, the uh, the conceit of it is that numbers, uh, math, in a restaurant function differently than any other math or numbers in the rest of the world or in the rest of reality. Uh, so the throwaway joke that I really like, though, is in Chapter 14. And... Uh, that's Let's the segue see. of the week. <laughs> and, uh, let's see. If the narrative is actually going somewhere, you know? I think they're explaining about that slow time envelope. And then at the, the very last sentence of chapter 13 says, a magician wandered along the beach, but no one needed him. <laughs> that's, and that's it. Uh, and I don't think that I don't think that set anything up later in the book. Uh, <laughs> I think just there was a useless magician. Uh, we so. can maybe ask Steve. It seems like he'll be back like in a later book. Oh yeah, you remember any magicians, Steve? Uh, I don't, but that doesn't mean it didn't happen. <laughs> uh, so the Bistromathic Drive, though, um, yeah. there's there's all of these non-absolute numbers that are tied to restaurants including the number of people that uh, a table is reserved for, um, the time of the arrival, um, and who will pay for what on the check. And, um, and so what, what's determined in all of this is that um, audiobook, numbers written on restaurant checks within the confines of restaurants do not follow the same mathematical laws as numbers written on any other pieces of paper and any other parts of the universe. Um, and I think that that idea is uh, kind of amazing because it says that that, that numbers themselves um, are as subject to, uh, you know, all of the other uh, unknowns or in absolutes of the universe that, ev- that literally everything else in the universe is subject to, right? I mean, I think that that's kind of the beauty of it. Like the meaning of words, the meaning of language, um, everything else um, is an absolute and yet numbers are treated as if they have this like, you know, unchangeable across time and space, um, from the beginning creation of the universe to now, like numbers for some reason, um, are an absolute, but like this idea is that no, they're just a subject to, to, uh, improbability as everything else in the universe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah, again, he, he like, Douglas Adams always wants to kind of show you, I don't know, if, if something seems inhuman, he wants to show that there's humanity in it, or potentially humanity in it. If something's not even living, he wants to show, like, the life in it. If something seems sturdy, he wants to upend it and show you how it's not. Uh, and, yeah, I like that how, I mean, the previous spaceship, the Heart of Gold, which is in this book as well, uh, has an infinite improbability drive. So yeah, the ships can go extra fast because uh, they're because it's improbable to do so, mm-hmm. uh, and this one can go fast because the the numbers 
you know, are kind of perfectly wonky. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's all he's good at that upending things for sure. It gives yeah. him the excuse to like do whatever he wants because the more improbable something is, the more likely, the more likely it is to happen in his universe. Like the more the more math he can put behind making it completely absurd and unlikely that it will succeed mm-hmm. means that it's definitely going to succeed in his book or any of these books. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's, I mean, and, and, you know, with that specific, that bistromathics in the Italian restaurant, bistromathics, very, it's, it's very nice. Very spicy, um, probable mess. Hey, spaghetti. Spicy meatball. <laughs> but, uh, there's, uh, I mean, so one, I mean, maybe that's also just me justifying being bad at math. Um, but, but I, I actually think there's a reality to that, which is that, like, numbers as much as any other, like, semantic system have to, have to carry meaning. I mean, they're an abstract system which define real world things the same way that language does. Um, personally, I feel like I'm just better at language than I am at numbers as, like, a system of representation, or images even more, frankly, you know, but, um, but so in this book where it's actually saying like, yeah, numbers, numbers are a system too. And they only have the meaning that we've assigned to them. Um, <laughs> it's not like, uh, you know, when God created every single day, he, you know, one of those was creating, uh, numbers. <laughs> well, well six yeah. days that he created things. No, I think I say that he decided to make numbers. Right. So we'd count he how long he'd been that. working. So yeah. he'd punch his, his, his uh, time card. <laughs> so, so the sixth day he created man, right? So he, he had to have yes. invented numbers that day. Well, I guess he had to have invented numbers to like count the days. But uh, after that, he came up with the perfect number of legs, too, uh, for a being to have. So there's, you know, that number is kind of uh, impenetrable with regards to number of legs. Just, I just had to put that note in there. He had to make numbers between day one and day two. Like, he realized that there was going to be another day. Oh, yeah. He had to define it as a separate thing. It couldn't, otherwise, it would have just been he created all these things in time. Right. The time after, numbers. After making that day and night shit. Yeah. So when he decided that day one was over, he's like, well, I have to make numbers to describe the sequence of these days. So one, two... And he probably made them up as he went. Three, four, five. five. Yeah. Everybody Six. on the floor, so come on, let's ride. Yeah. yeah Everybody in the car must be. So come on, let's ride to the liquor store around the corner. Yeah. Uno, dos, cuatro, cinco, cinco, seis. <laughs> Catorce. <laughs> oh, you two. I mean, you two guys. Um... um Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, the, the other thing that, just to tie back to that bistromathic just a little bit, the other thing um, that I that I do like, and I think it's actually similar later on in the book, um, talking about the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy book itself and talking about the editor who started writing it, there's his backstory, whatever, and um, his name is Hurling Fruitmig. Um, not that matters, but it says that at some point, he had a chance encounter with the Holy Lunching Friars of Voondoon, who claimed that just as lunch was at the center of man's temporal day, 
And man's temporal day could be seen as an analogy for his spiritual life. So lunch should be seen, A, as the center of man's spiritual life, and B, held in jolly nice restaurants. Um, and uh, and again, like, I like how those two things could tie together, you know, in terms of uh, centering a, a whole new branch of mathematics around restaurants, but also... If the center of your spiritual life is grounded in uh, jolly nice restaurants, uh, I support that one hundred percent. Yep, that's fantastic. You're always always eating on the podcast. I love me too. My holographic popcorn. Love those snacks, right? Paired with Corellin's sweet tea, the sweetest tea in the galaxy. Sip, and we're back. Uh, speaking of numbers. Y'all ready for a listener challenge? Ooh, ooh. This week on your listener challenge, it's me, John, like always. Hi. Uh, so, as we all know how this works, I come up with some number-related factoid from the book, uh, and then I tell you the answer. Well, I guess I phrase it as a question, tell you the answer, and then have you try and prove me wrong. As we found out today, numbers uh, maybe aren't so set in stone. So, I don't know. Try some improbability next time, gang. Uh, but, yeah, keep writing in those letters. We uh, just toss them all away unless they're fan mailed to me or Brent. Mm-hmm. We uh, even are now throwing away the extra soon D love letters. Yep. Uh, uh, zero so far, talking about numbers. <laughs> yes, exactly. But we're waiting for them. So, keep sending them. Uh, all right. So this week's listener challenge. Uh, so Marvin, the paranoid android, is talking to a mattress, as we discussed earlier. Uh, and Marvin asks the mattress, after he tells him that he is at a rough estimate 30 billion times more intelligent than he is, to give him a number, any number. Uh, what number does the mattress give him? The correct answer is er five says the mattress. Wrong, said Marvin, you see. Uh, which, that's also a pretty good joke. So you guys should buy the book and read the rest of that because I don't want to get into it. This is already getting to be too long of a bit. So that's this week's listener challenge. The correct answer is five. Please write in uh, disagreeing with me and I will throw that letter away immediately. Uh, all right, thanks everyone. It's been fun. And that was this week's listener challenge. Ooh. Thanks, John. And we're back. Yeah, anytime. Absolutely. Um, hey, uh, Steve. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, two questions. One, obviously, I want an update on the ship inspection. But, uh, but two. Uh, so, you've read the next two books in the series. Uh, mm-hmm. Does anybody die? Mm-hmm. I want some spoilers. Like. Permanently dead, never comes back. Yeah, but or or dies and then becomes a ghost that is the character in the story. No, <laughs> sorry to disappoint. All right, I bet that magician dies. We'll never know. Nobody needed him. Nobody needed him, so it doesn't really matter if he died or not. Good point. Speaking of dead magi- magicians, uh, just went past your dead magician uh, port mm-hmm. where you eject dead magicians from your 
from your ship. Mm-hmm. Everything looks A-OK. I killed a magician, launched him out. Everything went perfectly. Okay. Nice. I was gonna say, do we have any like stockpiled ammo of dead magicians in there? I'd like to try it out. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, we don't have any stockpile. You have to find another magician, kill him, and launch him out. I guess if you find a dead magician, save him, and launch him out this port. There was I'm going to a- make a bandolier of dead magicians. Yeah. There was a guy who was showing me how he only had one rope and then it was like three little robes. Was he a magician? What? You know, he was like, look, this is just one long rope. And then he like put his hands together and they had three little ropes. Never mind. <laughs> was it one rope again at the end? Yeah, it was. That's a magician. Crap. Should I kill them? Should have. All right, ship looking a okay though. So far, so good. The um, you know, your fuel tanks are empty. Yeah, I mean, we've been sitting in this parking lot uh, for uh, a while, and mm. uh, yeah, you know, I don't expect to be needed anytime soon. No, that's not a problem. All right. I mean, obviously, me and John both know how to fly this thing, Dodoy. So, yeah, how else do you think we could have even bought one of these things? You got to show them your intergalactic pilot's license. Yeah. Right. So if you wanted to fly somewhere, you just get some fuel and be on your way. <laughs> yeah, we would. Of course, because we know where to get fuel. <laughs> <laughs> we we have places to go. Mm-hmm. You just go to one of those uh, fuel stores. A fuel station. Yeah. You say give, yeah. give me some fuel. Give mm-hmm. me some of that. Give me some of that good juicy fuel, big boy. <laughs> yeah, just put it put it right here in in this hole. In the fuel no, tank. not that hole, you goof. This one. Mm, that all checks out. I believe you guys. Thank you. Good. Undoubtedly, you should. <laughs> Steve, what else you want to say about this book? I mean, there's a whole like chapter and a half about the, the what is it the longest longest party in the history of the universe. Oh yes. I don't even know where to like start with it though, because it just like never ends. But then it does. In the end. beginning, begin at the beginning. All was dark. Darkness fell across the face of the deep, and God said, "Let there be light." And it was. Start, go back and it was down. good. Now, John, I have a question. Which, which day two? Which creation story do you subscribe to? Because are are now are you? I subscribe to all of them. Okay, okay. I get a subscription to every single one. Right. They don't update them as much as I'd like. Yeah. Those periodicals about creation times. Yeah, <laughs> creation story. The the June July most recent creation story I thought was has some pretty insight. I mean. I buy it for the articles. <laughs> yeah, me too. I buy it for the ads. For Corellin's sweet tea. Sweetest tea in the Galaxy Sip. Thank you. And we're back. I don't know why I said thank you at the end of that. I think I fucked up the commercial. <laughs> we're we're getting an angry letter about this. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you for listening to my ad. Appreciate it. More ads should do that, I think, also, by the way. 
I just love a good ad that just says thanks for reading this ad right in the right in the middle of it. Thanks for buying our shit. That's right. Longest party though. <laughs> yeah, it's start at the beginning. You been to that party, Steve? I was there a couple times. Yeah. Yep. Well, yeah, you got to check out the spaceship, make sure it's still running. Right. Yeah. Which it was one of the worst. Actually, that might be the most testicles I've ever seen on a spaceship. <laughs> uh, because yeah. of all the guests, or because of how many the spaceship itself had? Both. Are, are, yeah. are, we're talking about specifically like how many are on a on a spaceship. Definitely not the most, but you add those on top of the thousands and thousands of guests with however many number of testicles each. Yeah, the longest party. Am I right? <laughs> I love long testicles. Super long testicles. Um, yeah, it was it was pretty cool. It was super super messy, as they talk about in the book. Just, I mean, how can you keep a place that's just a nonstop party clean? How but, can you? That's going to be yeah. the name of your memoir. How do you keep a place just a nonstop party clean? This Steve story. <laughs> this Steve story. Brent, you remember the name of your memoir? I'm just a lot of origami over here. <laughs> <laughs> that might be better. Uh, it's, what I have down, it's I'm basically origami. That's close. That's... The story of the one functioning folded butt cheek. Mm-hmm. That was yes. the subtitle. The one folded functioning butt cheek, an underdog story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> one of uh, it. How I learned to love the butt cheek. <laughs> All right, what's next, gang? We just, is, it, is it time to wrap this one out or we got more stuff to talk about? I mean, I have come to the end of my notes. Like, as I say, I I took the least amount of notes on this one. Um, I I will say, um, before I let other people say, if they have last things to say, that I think that for, if we are going to continue reading the series, there's two more books. And I think that we should read those two books and watch the movie and do one podcast for all of them. Because, um, you know... As we were saying earlier, like there are a lot of jokes, the way these things are written. Um, but I think getting more of the whole story arc, if there is one in the remaining two books, uh, plus having a movie adaptation to talk about might be a good thing. Yeah, so that people don't have to listen to us just say the same shit over and over again. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a good plan. I feel like people get, I mean, I don't know. We haven't got a lot of letters me and you, Brent, only mm-hmm. Sundi's gotten them so far. Yeah. But if we're going to get hate mail, it's probably going to be that we had one less, or maybe, I guess in this instance, two less potential terrible freestyle raps. Yeah. So maybe we'll have just extra raps in that episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we can we can make up for it in bad raps. That's right. That's the, going ra- that's the new currency, bad raps. <laughs> Steve, anything else you feel like you uh, you you've left unsaid about this book, or just about life, the universe, or everything? Um, life is short. The universe is big, and everything's everything. Mm. What my grandpa always used to say. Is he still with us? 
Was he a magician? Actually, he was the magician I launched out the magician port. Wow. So no longer with us. See, see you, Grandpa. Mm-hmm. And it ended on a somber note. Wow, yeah. And I mean, you know, I guess you said it, Steve. Life is short. Uh, Especially when you're a magician. Mm-hmm. Thanks for life is short. <laughs> life is short, but but testicles ain't sometimes. <laughs> That's what his grandma used to say. Yep, before she married him, he a magician, mm-hmm. and then killed him. I just have one more thing to say. <laughs> it's not worth it, and I don't know. I think it's a good joke, but it's not a really a funny joke. Anyways, the best kind. Uh, just got to mention it. Trillian was hanging out with Thor, uh, the Greek god, who only, he, he invented the uh, universe in only three days. I don't know if that's true. Anyways, uh, so Thor was going to apparently start a fight with Arthur, uh, or Arthur was trying to pick a fight with him because Arthur obviously loves Trillian. You know how it goes. Mm. Uh, and then there was this little gem. He expanded his chest to make it totally clear that here was the sort of man you only dared to cross if you had a team of Sherpas with you. Yeah, he's the size of a mountain. That's what he's saying. And it's, it's way too many words to say that, but it's, yeah. that's why I think it's funny. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, again, not a funny joke, but I think a clever, solid joke. Well, I will, you know, if we're, if we're just throwing things out there, you, you actually, before we hit the record button on this soundboard here, um, you said that you didn't want to bring this up, but I actually had a note of it also. And at the very end, there's this, um, again, it doesn't make any sense, but they find this guy who, what was reciting the whole truth, uh, for a, a jury or something. And, um, I mean, John, I'll let you read it if you want to, but I've, Got here. Uh, you 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 go for it. All right. He he can't remember any of the whole truth which he recited. But Arthur says audiobook. None of it. You can remember none of it. No, except most of the good bits were about frogs. I remember that. Here at really? SFBCPC, <laughs> we totally support any reference to frogs, space frogs, chinois, kermits. Even even Michigan J Frog, mm-hmm. the dancing frog from the W or the the cartoons, you know what I'm talking about. Hello, my baby. Hello, Hello my honey. Hello. Hello, my ragtime gal. Etc. Here's tough. the thing about frogs, though. How many legs do they have? Obviously four, but if they dance around wearing top hats and nice like coat with tails on it then they got only two well here's the okay why can't they live that way okay let's let's okay and now it's time for everyone's favorite segment john rates frogs hi i'm the host of john rates frogs brent aldrich and uh with me as always uh john hi john hello you ready to rate some frogs yes yes i am what do you got First up, Kermit the Frog. 
plays a banjo. One has a nephew, loves a pig. I don't know when it's my turn. Uh, not your turn yet. I'm has a little green collar. Uh, uh, runs a household of hilarious misfits. His best friend is uh, Gonzo. Uh, can ride a bicycle. Rate that frog. One point eight out of two legs. Next up, just jumps around in the pond. Uh, one one frog, two frog, red frog, blue frog. Got four legs. Rate that frog. Four legs out of two legs. Next up, it's Michigan J Frog. Two out of two legs. Next up, Dat Boy. <laughs> Absolutely two out of two legs with an exclamation point. And now it's time for everybody's favorite segment, rating systems. Take a look. It's in a book. Rating, rating systems. Hi, everyone. This is Rating Systems. I like frogs. With me, as always, Brent and Steve's here today. Hi, Brent and Steve. Hi, John. Hi, John. Coordinated. Hi, Johns. Thank you. Uh, we're going to go with Brent first. What do you rate this book? You know what? I think that I've been trying to rate these um, Hitchhiker's Guide books in order um i liked the first one the best and i'm gonna have a tie for number two and number three which we just read they're still both in second place two silver medals wow great great ratings from the creator and host of rate rate this frog Brent aldrich history in the making and now steve what do you give this book I rate this book three out of five in a three-book trilogy. Some hard-hitting stuff today on rating systems. And I'm going to give this book a solid 1.24 legs out of two legs. Uh, The bits were good. Some other stuff was good. It's good. And that's how we play rating systems. Make sure you spay new to your pets and cut off their front two legs. Take a Let's look. Ha- oh, shit. It's in a <laughs> rating <laughs> systems. I forgot that's how we did that. This, this fuck up of the week brought to you by Corellan Sweet Tea. It's the sweetest tea in the galaxy. Sip. Thank and we're you. back. Well, if uh, in that case, we only have one more thing to do on the pod, and and that's wrapping it out. Um, Steve, it's nice to see you. Um, obviously, keep uh, keep inspecting that ship if you need to. Otherwise, what are you going to do next? I'm going to find the nearest ship. And what are you going to do to it? Mm, inspect it. Oh, classic Steve. Always inspecting. Three testicles, two penises, and nine pubic hairs. Well. All right, John. Uh, Steve, please do uh, hop in there in a second, uh, but let's uh, wrap this thing out.
life, the universe, everything. Don't have a queen, we got a king. It's a patriarchy in the galaxy. We gotta come to you, here's what we say. We gotta overthrow it. You know it. Put an end to the dominant paradigm. It's a nickel and a dime. Won't, 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 won't get you far. Talking to a star. When you wish upon that star, it's a new galaxy, a new sky and sea. Got created on the third day. Then he made hay. He took a nap. He invented rap. Yep. 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 Yes, he got invented rap. But he made it a trap because we're bad at it. And I'm not mad at him. He's got a busy week. He invented Greek food on the seventh day in the Greek way. Sleeping on a pile of hay, he just may. What do you say? All right, second verse, better rap time. Better suck on some limes with Steve to not get scurvy. He's a breed that's worthy of rapping if he's here. Maybe he's in the rear of the pod. He's got a hot pod. But maybe too many legs. We just talked about his butt, not his legs. We'll talk about that later, I'm sure. Maybe he'll date her. A gator. I think he left. See you later. Bye. Peace. Hey, welcome back to the sexy After Dark Christmas special edition of the Sci-Fi Book Club podcast. I'm the holographic projection of the ghost of Christmas past. And with me as always, I'll let him introduce himself. Yeah, that's right. It's me, the holographic projection of the ghost of Jacob Marley. And I got an extra sexy feeling to my voice tonight. Oh, yeah. Why's that? Because for some reason, it's still Christmas time. And that makes me feel real sexy. It's always Christmas in, in your butt. That's not where I thought you were going to go with that. I thought you were going to say something like, it's always Christmas after dark in your butt. Well, there too. Anyway, tonight on this very special night... Holographic projection of the ghost of Jacob Marley. Do you know what makes this night different from all other nights? As far as I can tell, it, oh, oh shit. Oh, what was that? Is there a haunting on this pod? <laughs> Who's that now? Is this a double ghost? A, a ghost that haunts ghosts? Oh, there's a knocking at the door. My very door. His very knock. 
Why, I believe that what makes this night different than all other nights is we have a very sexy after dark Christmas rap. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. That sounds sexy as hell. I think the, the double ghost left. I don't see his spooky visage anymore. But I am excited for this extra sexy special after dark Christmas special rap. Well, I thought that we were going to be have a real sexy rap that would be featuring a special rapper in the midst of it. But now I'm not so certain. <laughs> it might just be on you and I, sexy holographic projection ghost of Jacob Miley. Yeah, maybe we can get some cameos by little baby versions of ourselves, though, dude. <laughs> we'll have to see. Oh, that will be terrific, yo. That would be so sexy. Should we get it going? Well, I suppose we should. I mean, it is Christmas night and all. That's right, Christmas night after dark. Here we go. No. No. Deck the halls with boughs of holly. Put them up for Maggie and Molly. They're friends of mine, and they're... Coming out of space-time. That's right, they time travelers going back in time. They were friends with a holographic baby. Hey, is it time for the baby rap? Am I spitting a a fire baby trash? Am I going to get spanked and then have to take a nap? Because I'm up past my bedtime? Because it's really late? Yeah, I said it's really late. But it's, you know what date it is. It's the 25th of December. I can't think of anything that rhymes with December. November, baby. No. November, and I am a baby. You can't stop me. You can't slay me. Like a dragon. You know, it'd be weird and rude if you did anyways. And I'm not lagging behind. I'm running this rhyme. Into the ground, running the town, and weird adult guy rap or baby rap coming up next. Go. Um, yeah, I'm just a baby too. Sometimes I pee and sometimes I poo. Yeah, talking about dragons in medieval times. That's. My favorite kind of holiday time. Deck the castle. Definitely nothing rhymes with castle. Asshole. Deck those assholes. Deck the butts. Deck the <laughs> Deck the halls. Keep it on fleek. Yo. Acapella. Yo. Acapella what? Yo. I'm just a baby, rocking on my cradle. I'm just a baby playing with my dreidel. Even though Jewish baby, <laughs> I still love Christmas time. That's right. We, and we both love Christmas rhymes. That's tight. 
that's don't start a fight. It's Christmas, y'all. Peace and love. Hanukkah. And gifts, too, which are cool. Yeah, under the tree or whatever. Just put them all under the tree and in the stockings and come down the chimney. It's great. It's Christmas. Cookies and milk. Yay. Now yo. time for a sexy adult guy rap. Yo. 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 Go to bed, babies. It's after dark. Yo. Hear me from the window. I'm a night lark. I'm a kind of bird that only comes at the Christmas times. I'm a sexy bird coming after I don't know. I'm making rhymes. So, I realize time and rhyme rhyme real good. I'm making Christmas kinds of food. I'm making Christmas cookies and strudels and pies. I'm just rapping like I'm a reindeer that can fly. I'm a Saving Christmas with my red nose. I put on my pants. I put on my pantyhose. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's Christmas time and we rapping gifts. Well, you're gonna love them. So for the babies, we got Legos. They're a choking hazard, but we want to get rid of them anyways because we're bad uncles or something. I'm running out of steam on my rhymes. I'm running out of scheme and running out of time. Ah. I think I'm done. It was so sexy, though. Ooh, that was like... Perhaps the sexiest After Dark Christmas rap that has happened on this sexy Christmas After Dark podcast that we do. I agreed with that. It was nice that the babies could get up from their cribs to cameo. That's right. They need to go to sleep now, though, and they hear that uh, uh, pitter-patter of reindeer feet on their rooftops just lull off to dreamland and... Dream of uh, sugar plums and fairies and presents and babies and reindeers and Christmas trees and the little baby Jesus. You did a very good job of rattling off a lot of real sexy Christmas stuff. And I'm proud of you for that. Oh, thank you. Well, we also never got a very sexy feature in the middle of that rap, but I suppose he has more important things to do, like fly around the globe delivering all the Christmas presents to the boys and girls tonight. That's right. If you see him out there, try and get him to rap with you. Let him spit a few bars. He's really good at it. That's right. When he comes in for your cookies and milk you've left out, he'd really just love to lay down a dope beat. But just make sure that he doesn't drink the milk beforehand, because milk will give you a wicked case uh, the cotton mouth, and that's no good for freestyle rappers. Oh, Just no. a PSA. Keeping you safe, Galaxy. Stay sexy, Universe. Good night, and Merry Christmas. If that's the religion and uh, holiday you subscribe to. And also time of day. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> See ya.
It's a still life watercolor of a now late afternoon. As the sun shines through the curtain lace and shadows wash the room. And we sit and drink our coffee, couched in our indifference like shells upon the shore. You can hear the ocean roar in the dangling conversation and the superficial sighs, the borders of our lives. And you read your Emily Dickinson, and I my Robert Frost, and we note our place with bookmarkers. That measure what we've lost, like a poem poorly written. We are verses out of rhythm, couplets out of rhyme, in syncopated time, and the dangling conversation and the superficial signs. Are the words of our lives? Yes, we speak of things that matter, with words that must be said. Can analysis be worthwhile? Is the theater really dead? And how the room is softly faded. Your shadow, I cannot feel your hand. You're stranger now unto me, lost in the dangling conversation and the superficial signs in the borders of our lives. 